And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show. Presented by RIA Advisors. Well, hello there, and we're so happy to see you. Welcome to Financial Fitness Friday here on 700 KSEV. I'm Rich Russell, CFP, here with Danny Ratliff, CFP. And March, just like that, Danny, I don't know about you, but this month, I looked at my calendar and I could not believe it was the last day of the month. It's crazy. This year is flying by. Isn't it? I mean, it's not speed. It's hyperspeed this year um lots of news lots of events lots of busyness i mean in a way it's good but man march 31st tomorrow is april fool's day believe nothing and trust no one so basically it's just like any other day oh that's right i forgot all about that that's a shame you know i used to have time to think of pranks pranks fun stuff to do yeah i didn't even think it was april fool's day that's a problem. Let's see what you're going to plan for Michelle tomorrow. Foolish people. Hmm. <laughs> Every day seems like April Fool's Day it's around here. It's to say, we've, the whole <laughs> beginning of the year has been April Fool's here. <laughs> Every day I wake up and I'm like, am I living in the Babylon Bee or am I in reality? <laughs> Nobody really knows. Did you see where like 80% of the Babylon Bee's headlines have actually come to pass. I cannot believe kind it. Kind of like yeah. the Simpsons. Yeah, well, yeah. Like they're going to run out of material. They're actually going to be able to predict future events because 80% yeah. of it seems to be true. I don't think they're going to run out of material. No, if anything, they probably can mm-hmm. work 24 hours a day over there. So Are they hiring? Yeah. <laughs> Um, I got a feeling you'd be pretty good at, at Babylon B. I think all three of us would kind of have our own little niche over there. Yeah. We'd have our own little special corner with a disclaimer. We should contract out. We should. It's like when I was watching Me TV last week and saw a disclaimer on a Popeye cartoon. <laughs> the whole world. Full a of disclaimer on a Popeye cartoon? Yes. Yeah. But you, cause you should not eat this much spinach. No. <laughs> no, will. that's the one thing they should have added. No, but it was really... It was amazing to read it. You know, how offensive this cartoon is, but we're going to play it for you anyway. (laughs) Poor Popeye. Not even Popeye can catch a break. (laughs) I'm going to check this out, see what's so politically incorrect. I will read you the uh, disclaimer. I won't do it on air, but I'll read you the disclaimer, and you'll you'll be going, oh, Mm -hmm. more parody. (laughs) More parody in real life. (laughs) Well, you know, one one of the things that's been a conundrum has been the market. Just when you think things are going to get bad, markets recover, and you wonder what the heck is going on. Right, Danny? Uh, obviously, SVB, Signature Bank, these are, these are not banks that have systemic risk. They have stupidity risk um, based on how they were managed and what they did. But I've been trying to, and you have too, and we have, this is not 2008. Although psychologically, it's a tinderbox where people are taking money out of banks and moving to to bigger banks. So the one thing that never changes is the primal element that builds up the story 
even though if you analyze the situation critically, you can see that these, this bank issue was really, these bank issues were isolated events, but these kinds of events, uh, go ahead and read a little bit about Minsky, which people forget about when times like this, creates this domino effect that also starts to emerge bad decisions that organizations have made. And when rates rise, we really get to see the cracks in the foundation. You know, uh, liquidity really does act as a cover for many mistakes, doesn't it? Oh, huge cover. I mean, that's the biggest problem I think that we're, we're facing now is that, mm -hmm. look, the Fed has cracked something. Yes. I mean, Absolutely. something's broken. And clearly we can see, you know, banks not hedging properly. You get a run on the banks, um, a quiet run initially, right? Yes. That was, that was a different type of scenario, I think. And so, Especially on the regional bank side, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and now, you know, I'm seeing headlines now saying, hey, banks now look great from an investment perspective. Well, and I'm not sure we're be, there yet. No, but I think maybe out in the bathwater, there are a lot of regional banks that have, are run very well. Correct. And I will argue to say that if uh, this was a bank in Midland, Texas, I don't think the, all the depositors would have been made whole. But that's just my cynical nature about things compared to SVB. So, you know, again, the government is backstopping everything. You wonder why the market can continue to go higher. Uh, right now, we're sitting at a pretty critical juncture above the 50-day moving average, right? We're at 40.50, I think, on the S&P. Um, it's been definitely wanting to go positive. Or, or, or buy signal, Lance got the buy signal, what, about a week ago? A couple uh, days we added, ago. We added a little exposure to the cues. Um, you know, even though we hold our nose and realize that it doesn't spend a lot of, there's not a lot of time focusing on fundamentals anymore, whether it's money going into passive investments. But I also think, Danny, it is this psychological element that the market's been socialized, that the government will bail out pretty much anything it wants at any time. No matter what, um, and I think you just got a to, uh, you know a dose of that through SVB and yeah. Signature Bank because if you, why do why do you have FDIC coverage? Why, right. why do why do we tell clients all the time watch your limits? Do that why why do we bother? Why don't you just insure the whole thing and see where assessment rates go for that insurance and we're all going to pay for it? Yeah, but here's the problem. Yeah. Just like when you, you look back at 08, take that as an example. You look mm -hmm. at Bear Stearns, you look at uh, Washington Mutual, Wachovia, but then you have Lehman come down. Yep. And they say, nope, not going to help you guys. AIG was bailed. You know, and so that's the problem is that you get into this environment or this mindset that they're going to continuously prop things up. And yes, essentially they will to some extent, but there's going to become a time where they're going to say, nah, well, we're going to let these guys go under. And it yeah. may not be the big Who bank. Who knows when? I mean, but psychologically you've, you've cemented in this element of markets can't go down for long. And if they do go down, they're a buying opportunity. I'm going to feel like I'm going to miss out. Yeah, but how far down do they go before you get the Fed put? Yeah, and the whole Fed put is another thing, right? I mean, how long before you get bailed out? How long before you pivot, even though I don't see it? there. I mean, there's talks about pivots by the end of the year. Rates are going to go lower. So now we're going to lower rates in the face of very stagnant inflation. And Danny, I've been saying this for two years. This inflation factor is not going anywhere. This is where we might be disagree a little bit with Lance, but... We have enough personal experiences, and I know that's anecdotal at best, but I will tell you, I read a lot of transcripts for corporations. I, read, I sit on a lot of conference calls just to get a feel, and many of these consumer products companies are going, listen, we're not going back 
to pre-pandemic prices. They may, we may not have the pricing power, so margins will get hit a bit. But we're, we're, we're not lowering prices. Our input costs are permanently higher. And with the regulatory element that's coming down, a lot of the money from the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, which is tough for me to say that that's what it is because it isn't, um, there's going to be more incentive to keep prices higher. So, I don't know, lowering well, prices in the lowering uh, interest rates in the face of higher inflation? Looking at more nationalization, looking at a, a number of other issues. PCE comes out today. That'll be a big number. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to see where that goes. Yes. Look, it we're, we're beginning to see things come down, but it's just not very quick. And it's yep. a lot stickier than what everybody has anticipated. If we get back, we're going to talk a lot about Social Security today and some changes that they're looking at. And retirement preparedness, are you really ready? Many Americans aren't. When we get back here on Financial Fitness Friday, stay tuned. daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Long-term care may sound like a bore, but if you neglect it, you'll pay even more. Join Danny Ratliff and Richard Rosso for our next Candid Coffee. Don't be foolish about long-term care. Saturday, April 1st. You may think you're prepared for long-term care, but you may be fooling yourself. Learn how to plan to protect yourself and your loved ones. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso. Saturday, April 1st. Realinvestmentadvice.com. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. So tomorrow, even though it's April Fool's Day... We are going to have a candid coffee. So we're the fools <laughs> up early. In. So you should be fools with us. Uh, don't be foolish about long-term care. We're going to, this is an education. No one's trying to sell you insurance. If anything, we're going to try to help you understand whether or not you need it. Right. We're going to look at the cost of care. We're going to look at planning ahead. We're going to talk about our hierarchy of looking at long-term care in a very critical manner as opposed to getting oversold insurance that is very expensive. So we're going to, we just want to give you a good handle on some of the terms and, you know, just a really great way to start your Saturday morning. <laughs> I'm going to need a lot of coffee for this one. No, but it's important because the way you got to approach it is the risk mitigation of long-term care. I had a client that came to me, Danny. Actually, she emailed me, and she was talking about the the communities, retirement communities here in Houston. One and to buy a condo in one of the uh, facilities in town, right? It's like four hundred grand to buy the to get the unit, and you know what the fees are every month. For like a one or two bedroom, and I'm talking about you got a pretty good idea. About eight thousand dollars a month after your four hundred thousand dollar buy-in. Yes, right? 
Which you have to sell back to them. Right. You can't put it on the open market. Right. So people are, she goes, you know, maybe I should just do the cruise ship long-term care. Like the guy that was going from, well, Holiday Inn to Holiday Inn, he was living in the hotels. That was his long-term care plan because he had people, the maids come in, they clean up. Earning That's points. Cheap. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, people yeah. are going to get creative here if you're going to pay eight grand a month. So you have to understand now, not a, a retirement community is not for everybody. I get that. But you might need some form of long-term care, and people mistake health care with long-term care when long-term care is really activities of daily living, things you can't do on your own. Even if it's temporary, you might need some custodial care. So we want to make sure you can help you understand the terms, how do you craft it so that you are keeping your costs controlled as best you can. But people who ignore it, they're the dunces. They're the dunces because you can't. Yeah, or say, oh, I'm just going to depend on my kids. Well, Okay, is that your solution? That the kids are going to clean your dirty butt? All right. I mean, do Have you want that burden on them? Do you want that burden right now on your parents? And, yeah. and I tell you, when most people do get long-term care, when they really begin to, to take a deep dive into it, is when the loved one's going through it and they're having to take care of those <laughs> needs. You're like, whoa, hey, yep, this is number one expensive. Number two, it's you know, cost. It, it's timely, right? It takes a lot of time, a lot of energy, and and we're seeing that. We're seeing more and more people having to take care of loved ones. We're seeing you know, multi-generational households. Uh, once again, I think that's becoming more common. But you, know, you mentioned the, the retirement communities. And a lot of times, it's, it's just kind of like an aging in place type of process mm -hmm. where you, know, you can go in and still be indep have independent living, have social activities. And then as you know, life progresses, you need some assistance, there's another stage for that. And then if you need nursing home care, there's a stage for that, uh, memory care. I mean, so some of these are pretty neat in that aspect where you're not having to find, you know, go from one place to the next to the next. Because let's face it, what's, what do most people hate doing is moving. But especially when you're in that type of state, that's not ideal. But, you know, mm -hmm. I think it, for some reason this last year, I've had more and more clients go to these retirement communities, like 55 plus. You mean not, go, go into them or check them out? No, go into them. Oh, okay. And a lot of times maybe the wife is really looking forward to it, the husband's not, or vice versa. And I can tell you this year alone, unequivocally, every one of them has absolutely loved it. There's so many activities, so many things to do. Um, because these are 55 and older communities. Yeah. And, and so these are not your image of what these communities might look like. Could be very different. Like they're Del Webb communities. There's some up, up north here in Houston, uh, but they're all over the country. And they have all these activities, like you said, Danny. And there are a lot of younger people. There's, a, there's a, some places in Florida that have, you know, if you're 55 years old and you're, you're active, but people like the, the, the social aspect of it, the events, they get to make new friends. Uh, there's a, and, and again, we always talk about being social in retirement or, or getting close to retirement because, like you said, there are people that are moving into these communities that I, I mean, I helped someone the other last couple of months, but it wasn't like one of these these sort of closed communities. It was more like this Dell Webb. It's a 55 mm -hmm. plus, right? Nice floor plan. Young retirees, as well as older ones, but younger ones. And they're, they love it. They have all kinds of different activities that they do. They met a lot of new friends. And we always talk about the importance of staying social in retirement. But they're also building up these, inside these communities, there's a, there's a foundation or a quilt of, support 
Correct. That you may not find in others. Like, in other words, like you might have to depend on a friend, say, if you have a, a short term illness that, hey, you go into the store, can you pick me something up? Because we've lost that sense of community. Like when I was growing up as a kid in Brooklyn, like everybody knew each other. Like, hey, you going at a store? Get me some milk. Oh, my God. By the time I left the apartment, I'm like, I got to get milk for like half the building. <laughs> so what I'm saying is we lost, we have lost some of that sense of community. And you return back to those, those, those places and you get that. So they're not all this stodgy drooling in my oatmeal kind of thing. These are very different. But much, it's, I think it's different. the mind, like you think about Oh my gosh, I'll never move into one of those things because a lot of older people are there. Well, you know, 55 is the new 40. And, and these retirees are mentally and physically Much younger better shape. Yes. than old folks were when we were kids. Absolutely. Well, it's not that stagnant, sedentary lifestyle right. either, right? Yeah. I, mean, you, you can, I can envision, even my grandfather, um, one was extremely, extremely active, lived to 99. My other one, he had a heart attack when he was when he passed. I think at sixty five, mm. but he was you know he retired and he had that lazy boy chair that he loved. That was it, and and you know yard work and things around the house. But outside of that, it was a much different type of lifestyle. Well, we're going to talk about this later on, but there's a new bill out there that would raise the Social Security earnings limit for those that take Social Security early. And we read about a lot of studies at age sixty two, especially when men retire, they die sooner. Um, I saw it with my grandparents, my grandfather, same thing, sat in the chair, watched television, didn't live very yeah. long, yeah. right? His, because his social, of, no social network. network was none except for family. I think men are terrible, um, when it comes to retirement and they isolate, they have to actually make a conscious effort. Women seem to be a lot more out there, engaged, making dates with, I mean, I don't have to tell you my, a lot of my older clients, probably like you, women clients that are widowed. Oh, I, I can't see you Tuesday. I, I got lunch with the with Peggy. I can't see you. I'm like, oh my gosh, right? Where a man, it's like, what are you doing? Can we meet for lunch? I haven't been out of the house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. I get it. You know, a lot of sense of purpose. Older boomers was their job. Now they don't have it anymore. Well, it's it's so funny because it's, you know I think we always try to keep our calendars where we can be really active. Somebody uh, needs to get in touch. It's right. not going to be weeks and months before we visit. Yeah, we do. But a lot of times with that, with yeah. older women, especially widowed women who. You'll be like, hey, I can visit this day. I'm like, well, that day doesn't work. And then we're going through the counters three or four weeks later, and she's like, well, I don't know why it takes so long to meet. I'm like, whoa, 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 hang on. I've got plenty of time. But if we're going to, you know, this is on your days. Uh, so it's kind of funny. <laughs> They're like, oh, yeah, I guess so. Dinner parties and all kinds of fun. Hey, listen, it's nice. And to, your, to Brent's point, uh, there's a lot of, if you haven't, there's Tony Robbins' book. There's so many books out there now about preventative technology. One of the things that, uh, I can't remember, who's the dude who played Thor? Chris Hemsworth? Yes. Or whatever. So I think it was him, but he went through 23andMe, and he found the variant for dementia. Really? Right. So I do 23andMe health assessment. A lot of people, oh, my God, I'm not doing that. I would encourage you. It, help, it will help with your planning. Because to Danny just brought up about... Um, when you have mental issues as you age, um, if you ha are pre, and again, 23andMe and a lot of these services are not really there to be doctors. They're there to give you some idea based on genetics, whether or not you are predisposed to a certain element, whether it's gallbladder issues, stomach issues, acne, 
But I really wanted to see it for dementia for me. And I didn't have that. I had it for something more of heart disease. So I changed my diet, right, over the last few years, a lot, dramatically over the last few years. And I watched my cholesterol closer. And, uh, you know, I had my girlfriend went through it, and she does have the, the variant for dementia. If I know that, Danny, as a client or, I will, or a person that wants to get a financial plan done, I have to understand that maybe long-term care is going to be something I need to consider because I can live a very long time. I can be physically in shape, but mentally checked out, and I can live a long time, and that takes a lot of resources. So if I thought I had the variant and I had this knowledge, would I plan differently? Would I look to do something different in my financial plan, especially when it comes to risk mitigation and long-term care? I might, Absolutely. right? I, I think so. I mean, just like we always talk about with a financial plan, if we knew our expiration date, we'd all live differently. But now mm -hmm. if you know you're predisposed to something else, well, you can change habits, you can change mm -hmm. lifestyle, you can start to, to look to find ways to prevent that or you know, mitigate that and not be such a burden on your home, your family, um, your resources. When you expire has very little to do with your genetics. It has more to do with your lifestyle. So I'll give you some idea of the tests we use when we get back. And again, we're going to talk about retirement preparedness and Americans. Ooh, has declined significantly over the past year. We're going to talk about that when we return here on Financial Fitness Friday. Stay tuned. Stay with us. Don't go anywhere. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com so i failed to mention that uh our candid coffee tomorrow is at 8 a.m and you can sign up at Real Investment Advice. Have some coffee with us. Hang out. We won't take a lot of your time tomorrow. We'll be done by 9 o'clock. But you'll gain a lot from this candid coffee. And we should have some mugs to give away. Ooh. Well, and, and I, I want to note that this is a very, very open format. So yes. we came up with candid coffee during the, the pandemic. And it was kind of just a day a way to kind of have office hours. I had a lot of people with lots of questions, just really open format, um, no bad questions. And so this will be centered around long-term care. And so you have a question, a thought, chime in. Yes. Um, you know, we're, we're happy to answer any and all that we can. So we do try to keep it right at an hour just to be cognizant of your time. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, give us some questions. We're happy. If you want to go ahead right now, go to realinvestmentadvice.com, go to ask a question, you can go ahead and put that in. If you register, you can also put questions down. So don't hesitate to do so. 
Yes, please do so. Um, we created Candid Coffee during the pandemic to create this very informal back and forth environment for questions. Every question is a good question. And a lot of times we deviate from the main topic. But sometimes what we do, and we'll have them again, we have Candid Coffees where they're just open forums and they're questions that we get or concerns that we are hearing and we want to share them with you. They may not be more topic related, but just financial related, especially if we're going through a turbulent time uh, in markets. So we're going to continue our candid coffee discussions. We have a lot of people that really enjoy them. And uh, they see us in our natural habitat with dogs barking and kids running in. And oh, yeah. My, my, my kimono, my robe, uh, you know. I thought you say kimono dragon. No, kimono dragon. Well, those that, that would eat my dogs. I can't do that. That is true. Yeah. Very true. And me. <laughs> and um, those things eat everything. Now, if you come in with a question about, like, which penny stock should I buy? Or yeah, no. should I buy Exxon or Chevron? We're not going to answer that. No. We'll leave that to We least. can't give those types of recommendations. No. How much crypto should I own? Listen, we can give you rules about speculation. We do that all the time, right? We have very specific. We, we have rules for everything. How much for metals? Uh, we, 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 we have, you know, we, we do, we have rules, but for the most part, this is an open forum about stuff you deal with day to day in your life. We're also going to be doing eventually a financial fitness with Ratliff and Ratliff and Rosso monthly podcast. And what we're going to talk, we're going to do is talk about real personal finance, the best credit cards, best mortgages, how to refinance some basic stuff that I think will be very helpful for people. So I think that, um, we'll, we'll be starting that in the next few months. Uh, the reason why we're going to do it once a month is because it's going to be a topic that's going to be more educational in nature. And there's Brent trying to show the sign. Uh, he's rolling it in for our for our YouTubers. Raise it up, Danny, because we can't see the Ratliff. Yeah. <laughs> Ratliff and Ross with Ratliff and Ross uh, tomorrow. And believe me, I get called a lot of things. Can't, can't wait to meet this guy. Yeah. Russo, Ross, Robert. Lance called me Robert for the first five years I knew him. Really? Yeah, I didn't even bother to correct them anymore. I'm <laughs> like, it's not Robert. <laughs> like, now we're partners. Like, do you call your wife a different name? Ooh. Ooh. Man. <laughs> now you never got it wrong. Talk about again. early death. 23 and me, you don't need that. <laughs> That's one question on there. Variant. Call your wife by a different, your ex-girlfriend's name? Dead by tomorrow. You're done, mm -hmm. yeah. Expiration yeah. date is now. <laughs> Living to zero. <laughs> living to zero dot com. <laughs> that would be how are you living to zero? What kinds of things can you do? Well You should write a blog post on that. Yeah, living to zero. <laughs> I think we all know how we live to zero. Um there's a great movie in the eighties called Less Than Zero, but yes. for Robert Downey. Mm -hmm. Great movie. All right. So um there's a calculator out there that we use in our planning. Uh Dr. Thomas Pearls is the founder and director of the New England Centenarian, centenarian, am I saying that properly, Brent? Centenarian study. It's the largest study of centenarians in the world. And, it's, and he created this living to 100 calculator. It's, it's primarily lifestyle based. But it's going to do is calculate when you're going to die. Again, just a gauge. But what I think it's really good for is a diagnostic if you're honest with it about some of the habits that you have that aren't healthy. So you wait and it'll spit out an age that you're gonna pass away, which is sort of freaky. I bet with all this new AI, Danny, they actually know when you're gonna pass away. 
You just press a button, they'll go, you'll be dead by 82. You'll be dead by 75. And the way AI is going, you never know what it can predict. So lifestyle, it's going to go through that. So it could be a good lifestyle coach for you. Because I am in the camp, Danny, over the next five to 10 years, that financial part, your financial advisor is going to become your health coach because it's so connected. And the lifestyle you're going to have in retirement is so connected to your health as well as how long your money's going to last, if you last. So um, Living to 100 will give you a really good sample. It's 40 questions. Go through it. See what it is. See what areas that you're having issues with and maybe take some corrective action. The one thing about the body is it's very resilient. And if you do the right things, uh, and it may not take much, that you can improve your life expectancy dramatically. Okay? So take a look at that. But when it comes to... Uh, Obviously, this is a study by Fidelity Investments. Um, American workers' preparedness for retirement has declined significantly. So this is a 2023 update of the firm's recurring retirement savings assessment report. This is 3,500 people that they survey utilizing Fidelity's workplace and retail investment platforms. And, and you know, Fidelity has more 401k plans, I think, than any other custodian. So they, they do get a good feel. But according to the data, over half of the respondents are not in, on target and face modest sig to significant adjustments to their planned retirement lifestyle if they don't take action. So this is up from 46% in 2020. So Fidelity, of course, is saying it's based on two things. One, people are saving less. Saving less. Listen, we know this, right? We, we, we know who the super savers are who save 30% of their gross income, but most people cannot do it. Um, I get my homeowner's insurance bill, and I look at how it's gone up like 20%, and I go, like, how do people do this? How do people pay for the basics every day anymore? And these, again, these prices are not going backwards, right? But they're also saying, and this is where I have it, I'm, I'm a little more challenged, Danny. It's saying in... They're investing more conservatively. Now, Fidelity is an investment house, so I could understand that, but it, it, it's, it, it's what they're not saying, that stocks are some sort of panacea for growth. Okay? If you're invested conservatively, but you still have some money in equities, and you're consistently putting money away, I think your habits are more important than looking to stocks to generate the, the, the gap in your retirement preparedness what do you think i think so i think right now you know with interest rates increasing that makes sense that people are becoming a little bit more conservative because they're able to find that yeah uh, there is an alternative now right exactly where there there hasn't been for so long and so when we do see this type of disruption in markets and you know it doesn't feel good it's like you mentioned earlier in the first segment you know markets going up despite what most people would consider logic for the, for the moment, at least, right? And so the problem is, is that I think we get so emotional surrounding the investments. You don't operate by rules or any discipline. And I could see where it'd be very, very easy to get, you know, get your feet in the bunker. Yeah. I mean, I understand the overall savings rate declining. And their target for fidelity is 15%. I, I don't, but the overall saving rate, saving rate that they find is sitting at 10%. That's a decline from 2020. Now, do you think it's because people don't have the funds, right? We've seen savings rates been, have been declining, but retirement savings rate, that's a little bit different. Yes. And 
you know, obviously with inflation, household, you know, cash flow, that's being diminished because of higher interest rates, because of inflation. But on the retirement side, I think one problem that we see, you know, I'm okay with somebody getting more conservative in the 401k. I mean, obviously, if you listen to the show long enough, you know that we don't operate with a static portfolio. We get much more conservative when the economy or the market is faltering. We have opportunities. We're going to overweight equities at certain times. But the mistake on a 401k, I think, is, is that people stop contributions or decrease them in times of volatility. And ideally, if I'm an accumulator, right, I'm doing the opposite. of what Yeah, doing. we're doing the complete opposite. So maybe the funds that you already have, we want to get a little bit more conservative with to give you more opportunity in the future. However, as things are progressing and doing so quickly, and we know, I mean, we talk to people every day about their 401ks, and I can't tell you how often people don't, don't look at it. I mean, oh, yeah, I haven't taken a look in a year. Um, it's been months. So they're not being proactive within those types of accounts. But the problem is they'll go in and they'll say, you know what? Things are bad. We're going to we're gonna stop our contributions when ideally I would like you to continue those contributions. Put those funds aside. Put more into that account to give you that opportunity. If we're buying at the bottom, that's great. If things get a little bit worse, you're continuously purchasing. Fantastic. Nobody knows. The problem is nobody knows exactly where that bottom is. Mm-hmm. No. And if I'm young and I'm accumulating and I volatility is my friend. Correct. Now, they did say in the study, Danny, Gen X, and I we talk about this a lot because my daughter is an example. Gen X is saving the most out of any of the generations. Close to 12%. They are savers, which is nice to see. Yeah. When we get them. back, we're gonna talk about the new bill that would raise Social Security earnings limits. What do you think? I think it's actually makes sense when we get back here on Financial Fitness Friday. Stay tuned. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Okay, so I bought two DVD collections. One, the show Vegas with Robert Urich, which is one of the, from the 80s, one of the best detective shows out there. And two, Beretta. Because <laughs> yes. Robert Blake just passed away not too long ago. Beretta was a great show, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. That's when I got to turn and talk to Brent because Danny's like, Beretta, what the hell? <laughs> Talking hey, about the gun? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what a great show, man. <laughs> that guy, he would chase you down and beat the hell out of you. I love it. I once hired an attorney. Uh-huh. Because he was driving around town with one of those white cockatoo birds. On his shoulder, like yeah. the way uh, like Beretta, Beretta did? Yeah. How was your due diligence? Well, <laughs> it did catch my attention. And we and, initiated and, and, a conversation. And Beretta did it. Yeah. And that, he always caught the bad guy. Turned out the guy was pretty good. See? Because uh, uh, he yeah. let the bird do the talking. Mm-hmm. So maybe we need to get Rich a wrapped vehicle. <laughs> With a cockatoo? Cockatoo. On your shoulder, driving around. I can't even imagine the language that cockatoo would have. He would not be able to be in the studio. (laughs) 
<laughs> There's a cockatoo on video for, on Instagram, and he, the guy is crushing his cage, yeah. the cockatoo's cage, and the, the cockatoo is cursing like a sailor. This bird had some vocabulary. <laughs> it's the, one of the greatest videos I've ever seen. The bird is like all riled up. Yeah. Crush it. You know, bird saying, effing crush it, crush it, crush it, effing crush I'm like, what did you teach this bird? No kidding. But this would be the bird in my house. Mm-hmm. So. Be giving the dogs directions. <laughs> that bird would train the dogs. Yeah. So if you haven't checked out Beretta, check mm. it out. Yeah. If you haven't checked out Vegas, early 80s, great show. Maybe you want to go to Las Vegas. You see where Lake Mead's uh, water level has declined so much they're turning up bodies? Yeah, I think they found my Uncle Vinny um, <laughs> in, a, in a, like a suitcase or something. They yeah, they've been finding a lot of hits. Found a guy in a barrel with they a did. hole in his head. Yeah. <laughs> this one thing about this global, this climate change, some things are getting unearthed Ooh. that should have never yeah. happened. Yeah, they found how many bodies? I think Seven or eight. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, Lake Mead was a big dumping ground for the mob. Just, just, just up the road from Vegas. Uh-huh. Boats. Mm. Uh, all kinds of cars. Things. Yeah, all kinds of things. Yeah. So. Hey, at what point did you lose control of the show? Richard? I don't remember. Okay. <laughs> okay, so one of the things Danny and I. Sorry, w- you should do a better job, but yeah. he's been on a roll. I have been on a roll. I'm sorry. Um, get the DVDs. Beretta. I guess. New legislation to raise the retirement earnings threshold from 21240 to 30000 where future increases tied to inflation. So, in other words, you got to be careful when you get advice to go ahead and take Social Security at age 62, especially if you're working a full-time job, because your benefits are going to be reduced. So there's earnings thresholds. They're very small. So I work with clients sometimes that want to work a part-time job. They, they're not doing well. They, they are single. They don't have anybody else to worry about. So they, we decide that they should take Social Security at 62 but they do want to work. So we go ahead and we look at the thresholds that to make sure that their benefits don't get reduced. Okay, so this makes sense, Danny, to me, that why, why are those thresholds so low? Because the, the inclination for me is if you are taking Social Security early and still trying to work a job, it's not because you wanted to take it early. It's because you had to. Correct. And you have to now find other ways to go ahead and make money, and they're limiting that. So you're going to reduce, so it would boost this annual earnings limitation to 30. So it's very outdated, the, the old rules, and it punishes those, especially seniors who want to return to the workforce. So I actually think this makes a lot of sense. I actually think 30000 is a little bit too na- it's, it's too still low. Too yeah. low, but I think it's headed in the right direction. What do you think? Well, they've, they've been doing cost of living adjustments. However, they're not at the same speed as Social Security or anything else for that matter. I mean, it went from 19000 I think, 640 to $20,000, 240 It's been relatively small increments here. And so ideally what it's been designed to do is to discourage people from taking Social Security earlier. And so taking it prior to full retirement age, number one, you're locking in a, a discount. Mm-hmm. Number two... If you have that earned income coming in, and it may not be you working, this can be withdrawals from IRAs, it could be deferred compensation, it could be 
uh, right. restricted stock units. It could be a number of things. And a lot of times I see people who necessarily don't need it, but they take it early. Then they get caught up in this. So the what this threshold does is so for every $2 over that $20,240, you're going to have $1 in benefit withheld. Mm-hmm. Now, you're going to get it back. They're going to adjust it once you reach full retirement age, what your payment would be. But it would still be from that reduced and discounted amount. Right. Still starving me of cash at a time when I probably need it. Correct. And you're not getting those funds because benefits will have been withheld. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing a lot of people who took it early. And they're saying, well, you know what? I'm going to do a side job. Yes. I'm going to do something just to re- remain, you know, either cash flow, you need it, which there's a lot of that. Uh, we know the numbers around Social Security. They're not good as far as how many people rely on it for a major, a very, very large percentage of, of their retirement income. But so you see people going back to work, trying to make ends meet. Um, sometimes you just see people do it because it's an emotional, hey, I'm getting all I can out of it. And we can run those numbers and, and look and say, where is your sweet spot? What is the best time for you to take it? And many times, unless it's just a necessity, it is deferring. Yeah, but so yeah, this is this is a step in the right direction. I think so. And um, if you have if you don't follow the Senior Citizens League, you should look them up, sign up for their newsletter. Only because they do. If you're getting close to retirement age um, and taking Social Security, and Medicare, they do keep track of legislation. They keep track of trends uh, that older Americans are going through. And Mary Johnson, who doesn't like anything, she's like Mikey. She's head of um, she's policy analyst at the. Senior Citizens League said that she would maybe appear to support this bill because it does make sense to allow older Americans to continue to work and not have their benefits um, withheld. So I think that that's a good thing. Um, again, we always suggest that you wait till at least full retirement age, preferably to age 70 to take benefits. But again, everybody's situation is different. And some people need the cash. So why penalize them? Why cash starve them? And by the way, I wrote a piece a couple of years ago, about a year and a half ago, called The Great Unretirement, how companies would be looking for older Americans for them to come back. And there are so many reports out now that's showing, and if you look inside the labor force participation rate, those 65 and older are finding work because they work. They come in on time. So um, there is, there's cra- there are cracks in ageism, which I'm very happy to see. Because to Brent's point earlier, 55 is really, if you're in good shape, like 45, right? The, the people at 65, 70 are working jobs and they're doing great. So why not see if they want to come back and work? Because they will actually be responsible. <laughs> not to bash every other generation, but listen, the odds aren't good. <laughs> so this benefit allows seniors to get out there and do more. So it's one of the most, I think, I mean, there are a lot of bills that come out that I go, this is a waste of time. Um, this, this, this is really going to, I think, help. Again, and again, you got to keep in mind, if you're taking benefits at 62, your, your benefits are permanently uh, reduced. But again, everybody's different. To take it at 62 because you think it's going away, by the way, is a dumb decision. There's no other word for it. Okay, You're getting emotionally wrapped up in some narrative. And if you're working 
And I can't tell you how many times when Danny and I do workshops that we talk to people and they say, hey, my broker said I should be taking Social Security at 62 because it's going to go away. I'm like, you heard that from your financial advisor? Yeah. And you work a job, then you make 50-something, $60,000 a year? Yeah. Oh, well, this, you know, this person knows nothing about Social Security. So when you come to make your Social Security decision, run numbers. Pull your statements. Talk to your advisor. Look at a maximization strategy. Look at, the, the, look at how impactful it is, depending on life expectancy. Run the scenario at 62. Run it at a full retirement age. Run it at 70. See what it looks like for you. Not only you, but a spouse. And if your spouse is female, she's probably going to outlive you. And if she didn't pay in as much as you did, then she's going to be hurt by your decision. So this is not just a you decision. This is an us decision. I remember when, during The Simpsons, when Homer goes to Marge, listen, it's not you to you, it's you to us. (laughs) 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 Oh, man, Simpsons are great. So... uh, (laughs) I'll make decisions, Homer, about my own body. Well, Marge, it's not you to you. It's you to us. (laughs) (laughs) I used that on the day on somebody who said it's my body, my choice, and that didn't go over very well at all. (laughs) But your impression of Marge is spot on. (laughs) Thank you. It's almost like Janet. Oh, no. No, we're not bringing Marge back Uh, unless she goes to be a broker. I think I'd rather Marge than Janet. I'll be honest. We're going to have a pillow fight. I'm not fighting you. Yes, you are. No, you're not. I'm and doing nothing. How you like that? Well, he, uh, I'm just looking at done. the clock. Danny's done for the day. Almost Tomo- made it through the whole show. Almost. Tomorrow, Candid Coffee, 8 a.m. Sign up at Real Investment Advice. Sign up for Lance's daily newsletter. There's a lot of great stuff. Michael Leibowitz out there writing. We got a lot of good material for you at realinvestmentadvice.com. And most important, we're so glad you spent the time with us today. We're back on Monday. Have a great weekend, everybody.